Welcome to the Lightly Salted Podcast. These are the readings and sermons of St. John's Lutheran Church of Park Rapids, Minnesota. They are offered so that the Word of God would shape and strengthen you to be what He calls you to be, salt and light. You can find us at stjohnspr.org. Now, on to the Word. You may be seated as we continue with our Scripture readings for this second Sunday after Pentecost. The first reading from St. Paul's letter to, or the first reading of the Old Testament lesson from the prophecy of Hosea, chapters 5 and 6. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us he has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from the fourth chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Romans. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I invite the congregation to stand and sing the Alleluia on page 156. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel of the Lord. And from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. So does the static slide jingle any thoughts in your head? Maybe even a little ditty? A tune from long ago. Look closely. One, two, buckle my shoe. Three, four, shut the door. Five, six, pick up sticks. Seven, eight, lay them straight. Nine, ten, big fat hen. Oh, I thought that looked a lot like a rooster, but you know. Do you think about how important counting is in our world today? It's one of the first things we teach our children and they learn in school. We first start teaching to count by ones, then twos, then fives, then tens. I mean, counting is one of the big things that Kim does most consistently with the ABC preschoolers. Number order associated with rhymes in order to develop both language skills and to get number sequencing firmly set in the mind. It, it astounds me how many things these preschoolers have to learn that we take for granted. And one of them is that 1 to 10 doesn't go in a straight line in a 3- and 4-year-old's mind the way it does in ours. But as adults, we continue counting. Right? We count money. <laughs> count calories all sometimes. We count days to special occasions. We count our change. In fact, we count so many things every day in our lives, we don't even realize we're counting until someone comes up and says something like, well, that's the third time I had to tell you, not that anyone's counting. In our gospel today, we heard of Matthew, a guy who probably knew a little about counting. In fact, it would have been his life. He was a tax collector. He was probably better at counting than many of us, 
the figures clinking almost instantly in his well-trained head, counting money every day, money coming in, money going out to tax to the Roman government, <laughs> the money he collected and got to keep for himself. He counted how much people owed. He counted how much they could pay. He counted every day, all day. It's one thing he was sure of. With Matthew, he knew how to count. But on this particular day, it was Matthew who would get a lesson in counting. And that would come from Jesus himself. Because one day, as we heard, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, we're not told how much time elapsed between the moment Jesus said, follow me, and the moment Matthew actually did. But for Matthew's well-trained counting mind, it was probably enough time to count a number of things like, how much money would I be leaving behind? How much will it cost to follow an itinerant preacher? Perhaps he had time to begin to think about counting his sins. Because I mean, Matthew was a sinner. <laughs> he knew it because everybody told him. Because everybody knew that tax collectors were among the most notorious of all the sinners in society. In fact, they had the distinction of being the only ones singled out for regular mention. You know the phrase, tax collectors and sinners. So why would Jesus want a sinner like him? A sinner that the Pharisees outright rejected and wouldn't even let into the temple. And why would he leave such a lucrative job by his own expert counting and reasoning abilities or anyone else's for that matter? This was not a deal that would make a whole lot of sense. But what happened? Matthew rose and followed him. Now there's lots of different conjectures over the years as to why Matthew actually did this or how it could happen so quickly, you know. Some have argued that Matthew knew Jesus before this and some suggested that the call of Jesus is so irresistible that Matthew had no choice. But honestly, God's Word doesn't really talk about that and doesn't even lay claim to that irresistible power of Christ. Instead, I think it's better for us to understand what took place here in Jesus' call to Matthew. And we do so by looking at things a little differently. We have to come to the realization that when it comes to counting, God counts differently than we do. He doesn't look at us and count our sins and then count our good works, lay them side by side on the ledger and see which has more. He doesn't measure us by counting his return on investment. There's another measuring stick that God uses, another method of counting, another way of evaluating worth. In our epistle reading, Paul spells this out for us very clearly. It's there in Romans that we heard of what God counts. And it's not the number of things, but it's the only thing. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. It is one of the greatest lies of Satan 
that God counts our deeds. In fact, it's the falsehood that lies behind basically all of the false religions of the world. That if we can somehow manage to do more good deeds than bad deeds, then God is pleased with us, then we'll be saved, then we'll go to paradise or heaven or whatever you want to call it. It's one of the reasons why many people, when asked in an opinion poll whether or not they're going to heaven, usually answer something along the lines of, yes, because I'm a pretty good person, or yes, because I do lots of good things. You see in those answers, people are counting. And to be honest, we like it that way. We would actually prefer it that way. Because it's so cut and dried, it's so logical, and best of all, we stay in control. I mean, we can determine when we're going to load up on the good side of the ledger, right? So I'll be wild and crazy for a while because I've still got plenty of time to make up for all that. But God counts differently than we do. No one has been condemned and gone to hell just because of some particular bad things he has done. And no one has been saved just because of some particularly good things she has done. What we do matters. What we do is important. But what saves or damns, what God is counting is only one thing. And that is faith. Faith in Him. Faith in His promises. Faith in His works. And so St. Paul in his epistle to the Romans is telling the Christians of Rome that it wasn't Abraham's obedience that saved him. It wasn't his good works versus his bad that God weighed on the divine scales of justice. Abraham was saved by faith. His faith was counted to him as righteousness. It is by faith that the bad side, the sin side of Abraham's ledger was wiped clean by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. As Paul wrote, he was delivered up, crucified for our trespasses. And as Abraham believes God's promise that he was sending such a Savior, by faith, Abraham received that Savior's forgiveness. But that's not all, because there are two sides to the accounting ledger. And so it is also by faith that the good side of Abraham's ledger was filled with the obedience of Jesus, the merits of Jesus, the good of Jesus, risen from the dead. Again, Paul wrote, he was raised for our justification. And as Abraham believed God's promise that he was sending such a Savior, by faith he received the Savior's inheritance. And so it is not Abraham's own deeds whether good or bad, that made the difference what God counted. Rather, it was the work of Jesus, his forgiveness, his merits, credited to Abraham by faith. That's what made all the difference in the world. And I have good news for you, because it's still the same way today. Paul continues and says, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. And so for you and I, what counts is what counted for Abraham, faith. 
Faith in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. Faith in the Savior who ascended the cross on our behalf. Faith that believes that it is not the number of good deeds versus bad deeds that saves or condemns us. And hallelujah, because when measured against God's law, it's no contest even if we tend to forget the bad things we do. We are saved through the forgiveness and merits of Christ received by faith. And that is why we are a church whose primary purpose and primary teaching is not what you should and should not do. But we are a church whose focus rather is on Christ and His work for you. His work for you on the cross and His work for you yet today. Because if it is faith that God counts, then how that faith is given, how that faith is fed, how that faith is strengthened, those are the things that are of the greatest importance to us. And those are the very foundations of our divine service. Faith, given by water and word, even to non-speaking little ones in holy baptism, a baptism that's recalled every time we speak the triune name of God, but most especially set right there at the very beginning of our worship. We have gathered as we gather at the font in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Faith given and fed and strengthened through the sharing of God's Word. One of the things I really like that they did in the LSB is they put the Scripture references for our liturgy. And you will notice that almost every word of our liturgy comes out of the Word of God that nourishes and strengthens our faith. A word that is read. A word that is proclaimed. A faith that's delivered to us as we receive Jesus Christ's body and blood given and shed for us. Faith. Faith that receives the forgiveness for the bad. And faith that receives the good work of Christ for us. And the result is that with a faith that's fed and strengthened, we do live in the world. And we do the good things God calls us to do. And we fight the good fight resisting temptation. And we strive to do what is right according to God's word and his ways. Even as we ask in our confession that we might go and live according to his will and ways. But not counting these things as one, two, and three. But counting them as God counts them. Not as part of the score or the ledger, but counting them as God does. Counting them as the very work of Christ for us and in us and through us. And honestly, that message doesn't make a whole lot of sense to the world. The world that is very used to counting and measuring their own way. But that's what makes this message so great. God 
counts differently than we do. That even those with a horribly checkered past or those with a horribly checkered hypocrisy, even tax collectors and sinners, even people like us are called and welcomed by Jesus. And you can be sure there will be plenty of folks just like the Pharisees counting our sins, counting all the sinners in the church and questioning Jesus' integrity. Why would Jesus call tax collectors and those folks? Why would he eat in their house and keep company with them? Don't we have such a long way to go? A lot of work to be done to even that score? <laughs> the answer is no! <laughs> Because God counts differently than we do. He even the score as he hung on the cross. And he who is calling, not the righteous, but sinners. He is the one who calls us and gives us his gifts. His gift of faith. His gift of forgiveness. His gift of life. His gift of salvation. And receiving his gifts, we, like Abraham, like Matthew, are counted righteous. And then what happens? We repent. We stop counting. And we simply rise and follow Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God, established in the even score of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, fill your hearts with faith, strengthening you to do God's will. Amen. Thanks for listening to Lightly Salted. We'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at stjohnspr.org or look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our thanks to Eric Medeish at soundimage.org for Morning Jew. God's blessings. <laughs>